Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The ultimate peer-recognized award for musical excellence is the Grammy. And there's always tremendous excitement around the award ceremony, which will air this Sunday evening. Winners are selected by the Recording Academy, and Atlanta has its own chapter. Later this hour, we'll hear from Michelle Ray Kaplinger, the executive director of the Atlanta chapter, and three-time Grammy winner John Driscoll Hopkins of the Zac Brown Band. First... The Atlanta Science Festival, our city's celebration of all things science, runs from March 13th through the 27th. Many of this year's events feature women's scientific contributions and voices. Dr. Mesa Salida is the co-executive director of the Atlanta Science Festival. She joins us now via Zoom. Welcome back to City Lights. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. This year, the Atlanta Science Festival will offer a range of virtual and in-person activities, including a number of events at the intersection of science and the arts. What would you say to listeners who don't immediately understand that connection? I have always felt that the two are just so intertwined with one another. To solve the big problems of tomorrow involves a massive amount of creativity, and scientists are are doing that every day. And of course, creativity is just so ingrained in the arts. And beyond that, I think when when we're thinking about the events that we're hosting, we want to think about how to host them in an extremely creative way to get people's attention and to get people excited about science um, when often science feels dry and things that you read in textbooks, but really science is out in our world. Um, We do it every day. The observation skills of a scientist are similar to the observation skills of an artist. So when we can have events that use the arts as a vehicle to communicate science, I think it's super eye-opening and really just captures people's attention. 
Oh, that's beautifully put. I also think it's strange that there is somehow this notion that you are either or. Do you blame that on that whole left brain, right brain? Was it research or was it just um, a, a faddish way of thinking from some decades back? I don't know. I wonder if it comes from schooling where you excel at one thing and then you just get put into a box. If if you're good at this one thing, then you can't possibly be good at the other thing. Um, And it's not, to me, it's not about being good at these things. It's just about being interested and curious in these things. So whether or not you become um, a scientist or a neurosurgeon or a world-class muralist, as long as you're interested in these things and curious about these things, there don't need to be any boxes. Indeed. And as you said, creativity is essential to both. Mm -hmm. March 13th through 20th is the final week of the Art of Science contest, which is open to K through 12 students. What kind of art should they submit and what prizes might they win? Well, I'll keep the prizes a, a secret, but uh, <laughs> as, as far as <laughs> as far as what they should submit, um, there is so much about science that is inspirational to artists, and whether those artists are young people or um, established artists, uh, the natural world around us is just fascinating. Um, and in fact, when you look at a lot of scientific imagery, it's just it's so beautiful and looks like a piece of artwork. So their submissions can range from actual scientific data that has been collected that just happens to look beautiful to uh, to some sort of drawing or painting or sculpture that uh, is inspired by the natural world. Saturday, March 13th, festival goers have the opportunity to virtually meet the finalists in another competition. The goal of Georgia Tech's Guthman Musical Instrument Competition is to identify the newest and greatest ideas in music. Please tell us about the finalists and some of their inventions. I went to this event last year. It was, in fact, the last big thing that I went to um, when it was part of the festival. And I got to see some of the some of the work that these people created. Um, There was a lot of instruments that had to do with making music accessible to all bodies. I just really loved that openness that the competition created. And so you'll see some of that same type of thing this year. And what we did last year for the first time, which was um, the last thing we did, and they're doing it this year virtually, is offering the folks who are part of the competition an opportunity to go out into the public space this year virtually, but showcase their instruments in a way that when we are in a space together is very hands-on and you get to see it and feel it and understand how it works in this kind of fair-like atmosphere. And I think they're they're managing to pull it off quite well um, in the virtual environment as well, just so that you can um, kind of get a little bit more behind the scenes than a, a polished performance from that instrument. Can you describe some of them? I can describe some of the ones from last year. So uh, I remember there was this um, kind of cube that could 
play music and you could use your chin to tap it to kind of control it so that if you if you had limited mobility in your arms um, or your hands uh, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be limited by that um, and you would still be able to create music and uh, some of the performances that were created from these instruments just uh, blew my mind wow there will also be multiple showings of a production titled Completeness, presented by Horizon Theatre. What's the story of Completeness? This is a love story, actually, um, between a um, molecular biologist and a computer scientist. And so the Horizon premiered it in collaboration with us in the fall. And it went so well that we, we both were super interested in having it be part of the festival again this year. I'm really excited to see how, how the festival audience receives it. Mm -hmm. Will there be an interactive component for the audience? Yes. So um, in the fall, and we hope to do the same thing this time, is to have some talkbacks afterwards. Um, we have found a couple at Emory who are, in fact, a computer scientist and a, a molecular biologist. Oh. <laughs> so, so I think um, there's uh, there's the chance to see how, um, how love in the lab actually works out. Uh, I fell in love with my husband in the lab also. So. Oh, I, and I love the alliteration. <laughs> love in the lab could be the name of a great series, Mesa. <laughs> Another area of focus for this year's festival is honoring women in STEM fields. Throughout the month, there will be several performances of the shift this Digital immersive theater experience follows stories of three female engineers. What do they set out to accomplish? Well, I, I can tell you a little bit more about what we are setting out to accomplish in, in, in having and very specifically choosing female engineers. The idea of representation is just so important for us in science. Women, girls are constantly getting messages that make them feel like they don't belong. And part of that is just the, the mere fact of always seeing men in these roles, often an old white man in a lab coat. And, uh, and engineers are problem solvers. And let me tell you, if there's anybody who knows how to solve a problem, it's a woman. <laughs> so, so I, I think by, by showcasing and very specifically selecting women to be in these roles of engineers, um, I think it's, it's a very deliberate choice to help with that feeling of representation to to help uh, young people and uh, not so young people see um, what engineers do. I, I sometimes wonder if I had known better what an engineer does. It, it actually appeals to a lot of parts of my brain and I might have uh, pursued that path, but I'm, I'm pretty happy where I landed with the festival. Mm. This brings to mind the movie Hidden Figures, which address the importance of representation by women and women of color in particular. And hearing you talk about the shift made me realize, I don't think there's been a whole lot in pop culture since Hidden Figures, has there? Yeah, I don't think so either. You know, I, I've noticed a little bit more attention to people choosing uh, women 
to interview to making sure they have a little bit more diversity when they're reporting um, in, in the kind of the documentary style or on uh, radio or TV reporting. But, you know, science in general doesn't lend itself to popular culture that well, uh, which is something that we are trying to change uh, with the festival and with the work that we're doing um, to make it a little bit more mainstream, to make it feel like it's uh, exciting and accessible to everybody and really connects to your interests no matter what your interests are. Women in STEM will also take the stage for a panel discussion on March 16th and 20th. Later this year, each of the panelists will be featured in the largest display of female statues in the world in Dallas, Texas. Of course, the largest would have to be in Texas. Could you tell us about the panelists and the topics they'll discuss? This is organized by a group of women who were selected by the American Association for the Advancement of Science, the AAAS, and they have a program called the If Then Fellows. And these are just remarkable women um, in the STEM fields. And uh, they have been selected from across the country. And one of the the nice things about the virtual offerings of the festival this year is while we usually do try to stay local, it's it's nice to be able to get some diverse voices from across the country, especially when there's such remarkable people. This fellowship not only provides these women um, some funding to do some amazing things in their own communities, uh, but it also <laughs> offers the opportunity for them to be immortalized in statue form. So, um, you know, that that exhibit will happen, but these women are going to gather together for two different instances of uh, this event where they'll be sharing what it's like to be maybe the only woman, um, what it's like to have gone on their career paths. And one of the things I really like that the organizer was saying was that this is not just about um, inspiring girls to become scientists. This is also an event for boys. Um, it's an event for boys to see that there are strong women out there so that boys' expectations of scientists are also not just men. Very well taken. As a woman in STEM, if you were on the panel, Mesa, what advice would you give to younger women who are interested in pursuing a career like your own? Honestly, in many ways, the same advice I'd give to, to anybody, which is science is full of failures, but the failures are where we learn. And the excitement of pushing the boundaries of human knowledge is just such an incredible thing to latch onto. So when you are feeling like you are hitting a wall, when things are not, the problems are not being solved in the timeline or in the way that you were hoping they would be solved, um, just remembering that it's the curiosity that's driving you. And I, I suppose for specifically for the, the girls out there, looking at uh, the many women who have in much harder circumstances succeeded um, in circumstances when they were one and the only woman in an environment. Um, and things things have gotten much better. Uh, they're not where they need to be, but they've gotten much better. But uh, looking at the people who kind of paved the path as inspiration, I think is really important. Again, which is why it's so important to have events like we are having at the festival. Among the final events of the festival is the Story Collider, something near and dear to you. During this online story hour, 
audiences will hear from storytellers about their own personal struggles with COVID-19. How does this event bring together scientists and people who don't have any connection to science at all? You mentioned it was near and dear to my heart. I'm also a producer for the Story Collider. I did not produce this particular event, but I think one of the things we try to do in Story Collider is show that science touches all of us. So whether that is because you are a scientist or because you had some sort of pivotal moment in your life um, in your chemistry class, it somehow can touch everybody. And it's important for people to see how that happens for everyone. And so we brought together three storytellers to tell their science-related stories and these connections to COVID-19. You know, we're a year into this. And in fact, this all struck in the middle of the festival last year. And we felt that COVID-19 was this elephant in the room that people were just so tired of talking about, but as a science festival, how could we not talk about it? Um, How could we not talk about vaccines and all that's happened with COVID? And so we do have events designed around that specifically, but um, when we were thinking about it, this idea of the humanity behind and the stories behind COVID felt really important to share. And so we we asked the producers at Story Collider if they would be interested in specifically trying to find um, a few stories that were connected to COVID. And among those events related to COVID is one to give festival goers a better understanding of racial disparities in the pandemic and vaccination campaign. Why is that essential to understand? We as a science festival have uh, an obligation to the community to share science in a way that's understandable in a way that's accessible and um, in a way that helps people see that science is important to their lives, to rely on science to help guide your decisions, to rely on evidence for that. And so we wanted to share specifically with some communities that might be skeptical of the vaccine and for good reason. They have reason to be skeptical because of past history. And and so we, we just wanted to take an opportunity to have experts talk directly to these communities and, and share their own experience and, and why it's so important to accept the evidence that has been presented to us in regards to this vaccine um, so that we all can return to some sense of normalcy again. Mm. Dr. Mesa Salida, it's so wonderful to talk with you and thank you for everything you do to bring the beauty of science to everyday life for so many of us. Thank you. This was a pleasure to talk. Dr. Mesa Salaita is co-executive director of the Atlanta Science Festival. The festivities begin tomorrow and continue through March 27th. You can see some of the highlights and find more information on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. 
The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The book Secrets of the Forest, The Magic and Mystery of Plants and the Lore of Survival, gives carefully detailed and illustrated instructions on identifying plants and their uses. Mark Warren wrote that popular nature guide. He'll host Nature Walks with the Serenby Institute starting in April. I spoke with Mark Warren in 2019 about his guidebook. First, I will say that the most fundamental study that a person can undertake to understand survival skills is to learn plants first because when you do that, you start learning about the geology because of where those certain plants prefer to grow. You learn about wildlife because you're going to learn which animals are eating those plants. You're going to see their tracks there. It's the foundation for everything that I teach. So with that said, in my teaching of plants to, with my students, I encourage them to look at plants as living beings, to not take them for granted, and to even approach them in a way like the Cherokees did. The place where I live now in the mountains of North Georgia was Cherokee land. So every plant that I see there, or virtually every plant, not including some of the invasives that have come in, those are plants that the Cherokees knew. Let me just mention to you how they approached a plant first. They had a ritual about it. They first went out empty-handed without a harvesting tool just to visit the plant. And when they found the proper one, they circled it a certain number of times. That number was one of their sacred numbers, number four. And then they would approach it from the south only. And then they would kneel down to the plant and touch it and speak to it. This sounds a little bit like pantheism or worshiping of plants, but it's basically like us saying grace before a meal. It was a way to put into motion a gratitude. So it was a ceremony. And by coming to it with empty hands, nothing is done rashly. You carefully select your plant. You don't over-harvest. Now, I'm not a Cherokee, so I don't follow that formula. But I do encourage my students to create their own formula, just as I have with mine. And what it does is it simply slows you down in how you approach the plant. It, it asks you then to treat the plant with care. Because as we know now, plants do have many nerve receptors that receive smells, receive sounds. Uh, plants can detect light. We're learning so much more about them 
even in our lifetime now, and there's much more to go. Mm-hmm. What is your approach to a plant? Well, I like to, I use part of the ceremony of kneeling with the plant and handling it. I like to listen to it by, I'm not talking about something magical here. I'm talking about what the leaves sound like when you actually ruffle them. And their smells, that's one of the most important ways to identify a plant is by its smell. And it's interesting that taking a part of a plant from the south, like the Cherokees did, actually has some scientific basis to it. For example, if you are going to take a a ribbon of inner bark from a branch on a tree, and that's a great source of medicine for many trees, it's smart to do it from the south side because taken on a year's average, that's the side of the tree that gets the most sunlight. And therefore, that's the side of the tree least susceptible to fungal infection. I believe the Cherokees understood this instinctively, and that's why they chose the south side. It was a healthier side of the tree to take from. Mm. Why is it important to learn how to identify sassafras or to learn how to make a bark basket? Well, the identification process is an absolute must because you have to know the plant you're dealing with. You can't guess. Quick example, I remember back in the 70s, the leading mycologist in the nation ate the wrong mushroom and died. That speaks uh, a lot about the difficulty of studying mushrooms. But every year we hear about some child ingesting a poisonous plant and dying from it. And it's all because of not being familiar with plants, not knowing how to identify. Unfortunately, the world of nature has become more of a kind of a postcard backdrop for most people. And we're not as engaged with it on an intimate level. So the knowledge of plants is something that's being unfortunately lost. In addition to identifying the plants. What are other useful or essential survival skills that you teach? Well, I teach stalking, which is the art of approaching a wild animal while being undetected, which is a very athletic and uh, almost martial arts type discipline. I teach reading tracks, how to create fire without a match by friction, which kinds of wood you can use for that. That may be one of the best examples of knowing your identification. If you choose the wrong dead wood, you might, you might try it uh, for days and days and days to create fire with that, but you will never succeed because it's the wrong species of tree. What have you observed in your teachings about how people change after a few hours or days in nature? That's a good question because uh, it's something that you don't see on a first visit. It takes several visits before a student might warm up to you enough to share that with you, what changed for them. And the answer to it is that the student steps from being a spectator of nature to being a participant. And what that breeds is an intimacy. For example, if a person in one of my classes prepares a food from a certain species of tree, 
from that day on, after having ingested part of that tree, that tree is literally, we can call it a friend of that person. It's an acquaintance at least. And every time that person encounters that tree in another place, that person sees a friend. There's a bond that's growing there. So you become more engaged in that complicated web of life that we call ecology by being one of the players instead of one of the observers. Author and teacher Mark Warren. His nature guide is Secrets of the Forest, the magic and mystery of plants and the lore of survival. He'll host Nature Walks with the Serenby Institute in April. Mark Warren is also a novelist noted for his Wyatt Earp trilogy. Our congratulations to him for winning the 2020 Will Rogers Medallion Award in the category of Western Fiction. Speaking of awards, Atlanta Insiders give us a preview of the Grammy Awards this Sunday. After a short break, this is City Lights on WABE Atlanta. The Grammy Award is the ultimate peer-recognized award for musical excellence, and there's always tremendous excitement around the award ceremony, which will air on CBS this Sunday evening at 8 o'clock Eastern. The awards are selected by the Recording Academy's voting membership, made up of music artists, producers, songwriters, and engineers all across the country. Michelle Ray Kathlinger is Senior Executive Director of the Atlanta Chapter of the Recording Academy. She's here now with three-time Grammy-winning artist John Driscoll Hopkins of the Zach Brown Band. Thank you for zooming in to join us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's so exciting. <laughs> Michelle, how did you first get involved with the Recording Academy Atlanta chapter? Well, I'll tell you, I, you know, I have had the great, great fortune of working with this. Uh, organization for a little over 20 years. However, my relationship started with the organization because I became a member. Um, I I moved here from New York City years ago, and I uh, spent a couple decades uh, performing in original rock bands. (laughs) I I was living on both sides of the boards, so to speak, right? I was um, performing, but I was also working in the business So that's how I became aware of the organization because, you know, the organization, you know, clearly, I mean, there's no other truly that does as much as it does for creators. And you're right in that the excitement around the Grammy Awards, I mean, it is the preeminent award and organization. I mean, it's the global icon, right? Would you tell us a bit about the voters? How are the members selected and I was wondering do they rotate every year? No they don't rotate and it's actually quite a laborious process because 
there are many people that would like to be a voting member of our organization, but there are eligibility requirements to ensure that, you know, our voting members are current, active, relevant music makers from every genre. It's a very difficult process and each interested party has to come in with a couple of recommendations first before they even get the application. Then there's, you know, a pretty tedious application process. And then, you know, it goes through this whole cycle, but every year there is a selection process and invitations are extended to those credible professionals in music from singer, songwriter, producer, engineer, musician, you know, so on and so forth, and in every genre of music to make sure that everyone is represented, you know, each different community and style and craft of music intelligently. So each voting member votes in their area of expertise? Yes, that that. So what happens is as a voting member, you are allowed to vote in the general fields, right? Record of the year, song of the year, best new artist, album of the year, and so on. And then a certain number of additional categories, because, you know, we have 84 Grammy Awards. And clearly you couldn't expect everyone to have expertise in all 84, right? So just to make this, you know, fair and honest. John, the Zac Brown Band was last nominated in 2017 for Best Country Duo Group Performance for the single My Old Man. He was a giant When I was just a kid I was always trying do everything he did I can still remember Every lesson he taught me Growing up, learning how to be Like my old man Now you are a part of this year's crop of local Atlanta chapter nominees. What does it feel like to vote on your colleagues you know it's fun to go through the process and it's different than any other awards process that i've that i've been involved with for one thing you you have the opportunity to educate yourself in the moment when those votes come through if you if you are well versed in americana but missed a, a few of the nominees they just didn't make it across your desk or your radar then there will be an opportunity to go hear them and make a qualified judgment based on the record in real time. So we're not really throwing darts at the wall or, or saying, oh, I know that guy, I'm going to vote for him. We really make an effort to analyze all of the nominees and make an educated decision based on the merit of the music. It's interesting to be in the community and, and to recognize some names on the list, but there's a lot of pride in the Grammy process uh, with all of its members, I, th- I think, more so than one might expect. It, it's, uh, it's not really, we're, we're trying to fight the notion that it's a popularity yeah. contest. Last year, the Zac Brown Band released a new song called The Man Who Loves You the Most. Would you tell us about this sweet tearjerker of a song? 
Well, this is actually um, one of Zach's latest songs. And one of the most interesting things about it is that we uh, recorded it in quarantine. So no one got together to do any of these tracks. They were all done in our respective studios at home and then assembled and mixed by a completely different person. So the song itself is a, a very beautiful notion about being a girl dad. And, and I, am a, I am a girl dad of three. It's certainly uh, one that, that struck a chord with me. You know I gotta go out on the road Get on with the show So most nights your mama's gonna tuck you in When you're missing me Look at the stars up there I'll be wishing on the same ones Sing this Father's prayer I hope you see the seven wonders I hope you sail the seven seas I hope you let the whole world in your heart But you still got room for me I hope you find a guy that treats you right On your wedding night I'll raise a toast Hope he understands I'll always be the man That loves you the most But it's, uh, it's a beautiful song And one of my favorites that Zach has come up with It was just really cool to to be able to to stay connected with the band when we were all quarantined at home. Well, this makes me wonder, is there a special category for Zoom produced or or remotely produced? How do you say it? Hopefully we won't be in this position long enough to de- de- develop a category for it. <laughs> but... But, you know, the modern world, I could see that, actually. The modern world is, is such that, that we can record with people in California and New York and, and all over the, the world and assemble them. It would be an interesting thought to put together that category, but um, it's so common. I think that, uh, that lots of artists are going to, to fit that category while it still wouldn't be a genre. Yeah. Well, nothing can replace live, in-person, performing with audience and artists on stage. Last March, at the very beginning of the pandemic, I spoke with your band member, Coy Bowles. He was hosting Facebook Live sing-alongs for families. What has it been like for you, John, and the rest of the band during the pandemic? Well, on on occasion, we will call each other on FaceTime. I think that's one of the interesting things about it is that that these video calls have been have become so common. You know, I think before the pandemic, I was a little apprehensive to call someone on video that I that I wasn't related to or or that uh, you know, my someone other than my wife, uh, unless I really needed to see what was going on in the room. And now it's it's just as common to call someone on a video call as it is to call them on a regular audio call. And I, I'm surprised at how many people just pick up and don't don't think twice about mm-hmm. it. Michelle, I know with the 84 awards, you couldn't possibly tell us all. But could you give us just a few highlights of this year's 
big category nominees? Sure. You know, if I may, only because, you know, John used the word pride and, you know, we do have a great pride for our own music market. I would love to talk to you about some of the nominees that are from here, Georgia. So out of the 84 categories, Georgians are represented in 41, 41. We have 32 nominees, you know, that we can kind of identify. And, and that's, it's a tricky question, right? Because sometimes there's creatives that we're not aware live here or they've just moved here. But out of the 32, and some of them have multiple nominations, that's where, you know, I get the 41. We appear 41 times in the 84 nominations. But, you know, we have exciting folks, whether it's, you know, producers, engineers, songwriters, the artists themselves, from Brittany Coney, Samuel Gloade, Quavo is, uh, you know, from the Migos. He's got um, a nomination with Justin Bieber. Lecrae Moore, I think, you know, most people know Lecrae. He's already won some Grammys. He's in the um, gospel hip hop. Wake up, wake up. Wake up, little slick. Get up out of bed. You was like a couple steps away from being out of here. Thank you for my granny press. Thank you for my partner now. I thought I was finished, yeah. Jesus told me start again. I will party sundown to days in. Making money that I can't spend. I had a failing marriage and some fake friends. I had to doubt my doubts and let faith in. Was broken. God done brought me out like I was Moses. I'm chosen. Woke up Sunday morning feeling focused. Funny acting. Swipe left, yeah, that's on mama's always capping. Swipe left, yeah, no more drama. Mm, 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 mm. Boy, you know you blessed. Last night was a mess. God just hit refresh. The new artist Jack Harlow, he's in best rap performance. Lil Baby, you know, had a huge year in rap, huge record. Big Sean, Luke James, um, a bunch of writers. Um, I mean, there are just so many names. I'm not going to read all 32, right? But even best jazz vocal album, Somi, a young lady named Laura Kakoma, and she goes by Somi. I can't hold these burdens anymore. Your love feels like a holy room. Wash my feet, leave them at the door. Your love feels like a holy best recorded package. We have two package designs that are entered, um, one for a Coldplay record and one for Group Love, who two young ladies who are here that are nominees that, you know, you just think of the wealth of talent in our market, right? And every year, what's so fascinating to me is, you know, we think we know everyone <laughs> in our market, you know, and, and, we're constantly learning of new folks, you know, that are here, have relocated here uh, and being a part of big recordings. And that excites us. Last June, the music industry came to a sudden halt after the movement hashtag the show must be paused went viral. 
This was created by two music executives in New York over social media in response to the murders of black men and women. Would you tell us what the response was like from the Grammys? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, it didn't take but a second for us to rally as an organization. Um, We had recently hired a chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer, um, a lovely woman, Felicia Butterfield-Jones. And I have to tell you, boy, talk about, she has really had an amazing year with us, right? So, you know, when you speak of the show must be paused, we all rallied, you know, together with those record labels and industry leaders, and we honored those demands, right, from the show must be paused. We partnered with Color of Change, you know, which is an amazing organization, and um, we've been working with them. We hosted an industry-wide change music summit where we included, you know, leadership from you know, all, all over. And, and frankly, we initiated, and, and, and I'll tell you about something we did just last night during Grammy week, but we initiated, initiated the Black Music Collective out of our organization, which is an advisory group, right, of music industry leaders. And we're speaking openly about all these emerging opportunities in Black music and driving Black representation. And last night, we had our first inaugural Um, Black Music Collective event during Grammy week. I have to tell you, it was so fantastic. I hung on every word from those who were interviewed from, you know, Issa Rae and Janelle Monae and John Legend, who, you know, is a trustee from our LA chapter. He was one of the moderators and there were performances and we got really active really quickly And, you know, everyone has linked arms and we are a really strong force that I think that you're going to see some amazing change, you know, of which we've been in the forefront. Michelle Ray Kaplinger is the executive director of the Atlanta chapter of the Recording Academy. She was joined by three-time Grammy Award-winning musician John Driscoll Hopkins of the Zac Brown Band. The 63rd Annual Grammy Awards airs this Sunday evening at 8 o'clock on CBS. Atlanta-based Christian hip-hop artist Lecrae is up for Grammys this year in the categories of Best Contemporary Christian Music Performance Song and Best Gospel Performance Song. City Lights producer Summer Evans spoke with Lecrae last summer before the release of his album Restoration. He talked about addressing political issues in his music. I got to a place where I wanted to address things that were happening in society and I wanted to talk about them from a different worldview, different vantage point. Most people look at things oftentimes when there's a circumstance or situation going on in in the world from only a couple of different narratives or a couple of different perspectives. 
And I'm always trying to give a different vantage point, especially being a Christian. Um, sometimes I think there's a unique vantage point that I may be able to give that people might not have considered. You know, some people may say, oh, man, 9-11 happened. And they'll say, OK, well, let's go to war. Or other people may say, let's shore up our defenses. Or some people may say, let's do something about our own government. And I would just jump in the middle to say, hey, let's consider prayer. Let's consider how do we love people from different walks of life and different perspectives. And so just kind of throwing out a third way and uh, on some social issues that were happening. You old girl a freak. Now how she singing is so low. I walked in the church with a snapback and they telling me that that's a no-no. That's backwards and I lack words for these actors called pastors. All these folks is hypocrites and that's why I ain't at church. Truthfully, I'm just doing me and I don't want to face no scrutiny. As long as the church keep wilding out, I can justify all my foolish deeds. Smoking you, pulling up, keep that lean up in my cup. Maybe I could change the world with the on my laptop got me stuck. Yeah, I know what's right from wrong. But that there ain't gonna sell a song I'd rather sell my soul to save it If that's what make my money long It better not be no real God But real hope that heals hearts It shows me that I ain't living up To all the things that he put me here for It better not be no real church Real saints who pray hard And let me rock my snapback With the 501s in the J-Zone It better not be no real folk Who don't think that they better than you Straight to gate, drunk or high They walk through the cold, whether with you Nah, we don't wanna see that Cause that might mean a Life change, that might mean I'm worth more The money costs sex and pipe trains Better not be no real Jesus Real forgiveness for hurt folks If God gon' take me as I am I guess I already got on my church clothes Did you feel like you were getting any pushback from fan base to be talking about some bigger issues? I think that a largely conservative Christian fan base definitely wants to make sure that Anytime you're talking about social issues that you mention the gospel, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, for, for many of them, they can't process how things can change without the gospel. And I would say that the gospel is both uh, explicit and implicit. And so the gospel would inform my actions in many occasions as well. So, you know, case in point, I wouldn't get pushback if I said, hey, let's feed the poor. You know, it's like, hey, let's feed the poor. Everyone's like, yay, yay. When I say, wait, why are they poor? Then it's like, hey, 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 come on now. So uh, th that's when it began to become more of a problem. Correct me if I'm wrong, but would you say that your fan base, maybe at the beginning of your career, were mostly white evangelicals? Yeah, well, at the peak of my career, for sure. I mean, um, the early stages of my career was pretty much all black. It was, you know, very urban because I started off at these uh, urban camps and, and whatnot. And then what kind of rose me up in prominence or gave me more fan base was uh, white evangelicals kind of getting a hold of the music. And then from there, absolutely, they became the bulk of my fan base. How do you differentiate between political issues and Christian issues in your music? Or do you think there is much of a difference or do they go hand in hand? Yeah, well, the issue that I think people wrestle with is that oftentimes issues that I feel like are moral, ethical or biblical issues, uh, our society has made them into political ideologies. And so something that should just be a moral, ethical or biblical issue has been co-opted and made into a policy or an agenda. And so when you want to wrestle with that particular thing, you're accused of, of choosing a political side or picking a political agenda. When at the end of the day, loving your neighbor as yourself is not a political 
agenda. It's a it's a biblical agenda. But that's the unfortunate part of our our society is that we've we've made these political ideologies. So uh, for a lot of people, they can't tell what I'm doing because they don't know how to see things from any other lens except a political lens. Have you opened up your music to broader audiences, maybe more secular? Yeah, absolutely. I think just in the same way that people think you're claiming a political agenda, you know, that 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 works against and it works for you. You know, so when you start talking about issues of um, black lives or uh, racism, you know, of course, a mainstream or liberal uh, mainstream audience would say, hey, he's on our team. You know, yes. And then when you start talking about issues that conservatives love, then they say, yes, he's on our team mainstream oftentimes it's more so about authenticity and i think a mainstream audience appreciates the authenticity that i display do you have any advice for white evangelicals that are looking to bridge the gap in their communities yeah a lot of listening a lot of empathy a lot of listening the issue at hand is that oftentimes when white evangelicals confront issues of race their their entire worldview is being shaken and so it's very difficult to have your worldview shaken without feeling abrasive or feeling defensive. And so uh, I would say be prepared to have your worldview shaken and that be okay. I mean, it, it, we have to have our worldviews kind of destructed and, and rebuilt. That's a, a part of being a, a believer. That's a part of being a Christian is that you embrace that. Oh, my goodness, I saw the world one way and now I, I have to see it a different way. And that's a lifelong journey. Uh, we see through dim glasses that hopefully one day we'll see clearly. But you've got to be patient. You've got to be empathetic. You've got to listen. And then you've got to take action. White evangelicals have got to go beyond having conversations and move from conversation into implementation. Christian hip-hop artist Lecrae is up for two more Grammys. The 63rd Annual Grammy Awards show airs this Sunday on CBS. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of Atlanta arts and cultural life. Monday at 11 a.m., pianist Laura Downs will tell us about her latest recording project, releasing downloadable tracks of newly recorded works by black composers. Our theme music is The First Time, written and performed by Joe Granston with his jazz band. Special thanks to Hot Shoe Records. City Lights producer is Summer Evans. Our engineer is Shelley Canavy and I'm Lois Reitzes. I would love it if you'd follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. You can follow us on Facebook at W-A-B-E City Lights. Listen back to interviews and check out our show's archives at wabe.org slash citylights. Have a safe and good weekend, and thank you for listening to WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.